This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Romans chapter 8 and verse, or Romans chapter 1, I'm sorry, verse number 8. Your church is going through the book of Romans. Uh, your pastor and I talk often about preaching, and we, I started a series in Romans almost a year ago, and uh, we just finished chapter 5 in the book of Romans, and it's been a wonderful experience and a wonderful time. And tonight, we're going to, or this morning, we're going to be introducing this verse number 8 is the introduction to a new paragraph that runs through verse number 15, but we'll look just this morning at verse number eight, because I think the power of the text is just going to be in this one verse for us today. Growing up, uh, those of you that don't know me well, uh, my dad was a pastor. And um, I had lived, I was born in Tucumcari, New Mexico. If you've never heard of it, that's okay. Most people haven't. Uh, I was born there, and then my family moved to Dumas, Texas, uh, where my dad pastored for three years, and then up to Washington State, uh, where he pastored in a little town called Spanaway. It was a suburb of Tacoma, and uh, we pastor, he pastored there till I was 13 in the seventh grade, and then we moved to Texas, and I thought that was going to be a lifetime move to Texas, back to where my dad's from, and we moved back to Texas for about a year and a half, and then my dad left Texas and moved to Oceanside, California, and he started a church in Oceanside, so from the time I was 14 and 15 and 16, we lived in Oceanside, California, and then we moved up to Spokane, Washington, where I eventually graduated high school at the uh, Valley Christian School there in the Valley, what's now called Incorporated Spokane Valley, and one of the things, I tell you that story because one of the things that we had to do every time that you moved to a new school, and I went to Christian schools, large Christian schools, is the teacher would always have me introduce myself. If you ever went to a new school, you know what it's like, and then you have to introduce, and you had to say something about yourself. And I was a shy kid. I've grown out of that. But I was a shy kid, and the teacher would, would say, oh, we have a new student, and his name, and they'd point to me, and I would sit, like, like people going to church for the first time, I'd sit as far away from the teacher as I possibly could. Uh, some of y'all sitting as far away from the preacher as you possibly can. If there were seats outside, you'd still probably sit there. I get that. Uh, a little bit embarrassed, and I'd sit as far away as I could, but with the last name Chadwick, if it was by alphabetical order, I was pretty close to the front sometimes, but the teacher would say, we got a new kid in class. Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? And I'd have to stand up. And I'd have to introduce myself. And then I had to say, how many of you know this old ritual? Tell us one interesting thing about yourself. And I would have to think of one thing. And I normally would have to do that in every class. Well, in a Christian school, you're in the same with the same people every time. So you're trying to think of new things to tell about yourself. And you're trying to introduce yourself. You say, well, what's the point of this story? Well, the point of this story is that Paul is writing to church at Rome. Paul is writing this, what is now, the book of Romans, is the seminal work of the New Testament, probably the most important book in all the New Testament. None of them are of less importance, but this one is of tremendous importance, covers every theological point that is made in the Bible. It is what many like to call the constitution of our faith. It guides us, it directs us, it challenges us, it motivates us, it encourages us, it convicts us. I mean, the book of Romans is the book in the Bible. Matter of fact, I 
waited 20 years of pastoring before I would preach it. Think how brave your pastor is. That's the power of the beard right there. I was telling you right now, I mean, it's a, it a big book. Well, the book of Romans is super important, but here's one interesting fact. Paul is writing people this epistle, and it's people that he has never met before. He's never traveled to this church before. And most of the people there probably have heard of him in testimony only, but they've never had the privilege of meeting him. They've never had the privilege of hearing him preach a message. They've never had the privilege of, of listening to him teach theology. They've never had the privilege of being in a prayer meeting where he stood up and he prayed. They've never had any of that. So he is by way of introduction, which is what the first 17 verses of this book really are, but by way of introduction, in, in verse number eight, he begins to tell the people in Rome a little bit about himself. He begins to let them know. Why? Because he wants them to know who he is. It establishes some credibility. It gives some relational aspect, and it helps them, them to understand where he's coming from. You, you ever been to a, a speech or a lesson or a talk or whatever, and the person doesn't tell you anything about themselves? They just give information if you're in the military, maybe you've sat in a briefing and somebody just gives information about five minutes in, you're begging God for a world war to happen just so you could get out of the room. How many of you know that? Or a professor in college, you're just like, oh, please let me leave. You think about stabbing yourself in your arm. You'll take stitches over having to endure that. How many of you know what I'm talking about there? Some of you are like, yeah, right now. I know that feeling. <laughs> I get it. Well, the Apostle Paul is introducing himself to him, and he says something really amazing about himself and really about his thought and the conversion that he had. Look in verse number eight with me. First, first, because this is the first thing he's going to talk about. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for, your, for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. If we were to read this paragraph that runs through verse number 15, we would understand that this is really a, a treatise, if you will, on biblical leadership. If you're in leadership, I would encourage you to become a student of Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 15. And the Apostle Paul is talking here with tremendous clarity about this aspect of leadership in the life of the believer. I'm not trying to make this a leadership passage. He's just talking as a leader to the people. Now, you got to remember something about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was probably one of the greatest spiritual leaders in the nation of Israel before he became a Christian. He was a leader uh, and, a, and a very prominent leader within Judaism in Israel. He had been raised a Pharisee. He was uh, well acquainted with, with the other Jewish religious sects, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, even the Essenes and Zealots, which were two other groups of people. He, he knew with few exceptions those leaders served out of an aspect of the flesh. The Apostle Paul would have even argued, and we'll make this point here in just a second, that the Apostle Paul often served from a self-motivating interest. The worship of many of the spiritual leaders that Paul knew was mechanical, it was routine, it was superficial, it was external. 
I mean, that, that Paul was very familiar with that. It, it's easy to, let me say this clearly, it's easy to be religious. Being religious is a very easy thing to do. Sometimes people say this, I, I just, I, I don't do religion. Well, can I tell you, nobody really does it well. Because inherently, it is mechanical. Inherently, it is systematic. It is what we might say it this way. It's a check the box. It's routine. It's external. And most of the time, it doesn't deal with the heart. And, and Paul knew well that the religious leaders were that way. But he knew something as well, that the Gentiles who were in the church at Rome, and there were many of them, the church at Rome was probably 60% Gentile, 40% Jew. I don't have time to explain all that, but they, we would believe it would be somewhere around that. And Paul also knew that the pagan religions of the world, that the Gentiles would have been, that the pagan religions of the world were external, superficial, and completely motivated by self-interest. As a matter of fact, prior to his conversion, that's how Paul had been. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 4, Paul says, Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he have whereof he might trust in the flesh, I am more. Paul says, if you want to trust in the flesh, I am more. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, meaning he could trace his family line only, in, or his family line all the way back to Benjamin, one of the sons of Israel. I mean, his family was was pure Israeli. Both he, his dad, and his mom, and his mom's lineage back to Benjamin, all the way back to Abraham, and his dad's lineage all the way back to Benjamin, all the way up to Abraham. I mean, his family was, was if you want to talk about a, a, a well-known family and an elite family and a, a family with pedigree, that's what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 3. I was of the stock of Israel. Of the tribe of Benjamin, the most well-known other than Judah, the most well-known tribe in all of Israel, and the most prominent tribe, even in some ways more than the tribe of Judah. I mean, Paul is in this amazing tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, you take all the Hebrew followers of God, you take all the Hebrews of the Old Testament, and Paul said, I'm doing better than them, and it's touching the law of Pharisee. Now, when we hear the word Pharisee, what do we do? We often think like this. <laughs> this is what we think. We think, like, oh, those dudes, you, you, we say it pejoratively. We say like, oh, dude, what a loser. Dude's such a Pharisee. I mean, come on. Do we not say that, at least in context? That's kind of how we think about it, like in a negative. Well, in Paul's day, if you said you were a Pharisee of Pharisees, that is big news. That would, that would be something that people would be like, oh, wow. Like, dude, that's, that's, that's amazing. You're a Pharisee of Pharisees? I mean, that was a compliment of compliments. That was something to to be thought of very highly. That was not like we would think of it in our day. We view it today as being pharisaical and rigid and only serving out of religious thought, not of any relationship with God. But in Paul's day, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And then he goes on to say, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, the 460 commandments in the law. Paul said this, I was blameless. Blameless. What does blameless mean? You could look at every law in the Old Testament, and if you followed me around, you would find that I kept 
Every single one of them to the best of my ability. Now, Paul was a sinner, no doubt about it. We'll talk about that. But if you were to follow him around, you would see in his life that he was this dude that really kept the law. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't part-time. He was full in, all the way in, 100% in. He washed his hands the way the law prescribed. He wouldn't eat things that, had, uh, th- that he wasn't supposed to eat. He dressed in the prescribed way. He spoke in the prescribed way. Everything about his life was 100% in accordance with the law, and you couldn't look at his life and say he was to be blamed. No, no, he was blameless. Paul was, Paul was real real religious. Now, if you follow Chris Chadwick around, you're going to find a couple of things. I can be blamed for stuff. Watch it. There's not an amen point right there. I could talk about physical fitness all day long. I love it. I I love to power lift, Olympic lift, CrossFit, pull-ups, can't wait for the Murph. I love all those things. And if you follow me around, you'll be like, oh, man, he really likes that stuff. But let me tell you what I like more than CrossFit, pancakes. I could talk to you all day long about the right thing to eat, but I'm telling you, we got here on Tuesday. I went to Mac 24-7 Tuesday nights. We split like pancakes. Uh, we had pancakes the next month. I've had more pancakes this week than I've had in my entire life. You say, how do you feel about it? Great. <laughs> you going to go home and work it off? I don't know. I might just get on a pancake kick and eat those for the rest of my life. I like pancakes and I like gummy bears. You can follow. I want a gummy bear pancake. Your pastor likes chocolate chip pancakes. I wonder if we can make a gummy bear pancake. You can say you don't really think about stuff like that. That's who I am. I could be blamed for stuff. I could be found inconsistent. Paul is just saying in, person, in my zeal for the Lord, I was never found to be inconsistent. But his salvation, his conversion, brought about something completely different in him. His life was tremendously transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was that the gospel not only saved him eternally, but it did what it's supposed to do, and it affected him immediately. Did you hear me? The gospel is to affect our everyday life. So here's this dude, Paul, who goes from persecuting the church to then you would read in Ephesians where he says about his own service, not with eye service, not just service to be seen as men pleasers, but the servants of Christ. And this is what he says about himself, doing the will of God from the heart. Oh, wow. You, the persecutor of the church, the Pharisee of Pharisees, the zealot, the, the, the one who threw people in prison because of their faith, you were converted and you began to serve God, not with eye service, not to be seen by the folks at work, not to be recognized by family and friends. That's not why you did it. You weren't serving the Lord to make your mama happy. You weren't serving the Lord to make your dad happy. You weren't serving the Lord to get a promotion. No, no, not with eye service as men pleasers, but doing, listen to this phrase, the will of God Where? From the heart. (laughs) That's why we use the word conversion. 
He was going one direction, self-centered, self-pleasing, self-promoted, doing his own thing. And he is introduced to Jesus Christ. He repents of his sin. He accepts Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior. And his whole life is transformed. And now he is serving God, not religiously, but from the heart. Tell me that's not amazing. Well, I could speak about this all day, but I, I won't. Paul is writing these people. He's never met them. They have heard of his conversion testimony. They have maybe, maybe they've heard messages or testimonies of people who come to Rome and talk about Paul, the church persecutor, who is now a church promoter. The one who had people arrested is now being arrested. The one who stopped messages is now preaching messages. The one who jailed people is now seeing people freed from the bondage of sin. I mean, we're talking, this is the apostle Paul. This is the dude. This is the man. This is the guy that we're looking for. And Paul is writing them, introducing something about himself and his style of leadership. And he get, conveys this idea that spiritual leadership is not based on the words that we say, but on the way that we live. Spiritual leadership is not based on the words that we say, but on the way that we live. So this morning, we want to look at what verse 8 is talking about, which is a spirit of thankfulness. Paul was a man of abundant gratitude. Nearly 60 times in his epistle, he uses the phrase or expresses the concept of being grateful to the Lord. He talks about, I thank God, God be thanked. Romans 1, 8, our text 7.25, Romans 7.25, Romans 1, or 1 Corinthians 1, 4. In Romans 6, 17, he says, God be thanked. Thanks be unto God, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse number 14. Paul is just a man of abundant gratitude. And the first mark of true spiritual leadership and spiritual service is a heart of gratitude, a heart of thanksgiving. Well, we see in this text, he says, for God is my witness. We see the object of Paul's gratitude he didn't thank himself. That would have been self-promoting. I'm thankful that I was able to do that. He didn't even thank the Romans themselves. That might have been considered flattery. No, he says, I thank my God. I thank my God. Paul was indeed grateful for what the Lord had done. The object of Paul's gratitude, again, was not the people at Rome. And we wouldn't have even, we wouldn't have even been upset with that. We wouldn't have thought negative of that. Nobody would have thought anything bad about that. But it wasn't the people at Rome, and it wasn't himself, and it wasn't his family, and it wasn't his career choices, and it wasn't his instructors, educators, counselors, or friends. The first object of Paul's gratitude, and I would argue this the supreme object of, God, of Paul's gratitude was the Lord Jesus was God and the Lord Jesus Christ and notice his intimacy in his gratitude the intimacy not only the object but the intimacy I'm not an English guy like I think the English language is weird Anybody else in here agree with me? I mean, I speak it I have it well I sort of okay I, I've stood alone before I'm a church planner 
But I think the English language is weird. I don't like all the rules. Our assistant pastor, Bernie Lund, is back here, and he's like a grammar Nazi, and like he reads newspapers for the sole privilege uh, or pleasure of pointing out that the journalist and the editors got grammar things wrong. Oh, that's a misplaced modifier. Oh, that comma's not in the right spot. And, and it's just, and we have another guy on staff that's the same way, and they literally get in arguments over it. They are both so fleshly, and... Um, it's not Christ-like in any way about it. But th- there's a lot of things I don't know about grammar because I, I just, uh, what's the point? If it's a rule, it's a rule. But I grew up, now there's probably some English teachers going, write this loser off right now. But there's so many rules in grammar, then, then there's exceptions to that rule. And I just get so irritated with the exceptions. And Bernie goes, oh, no, 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 Pastor, you got it wrong, because I know that's the rule normally. But in this case, there's an exception. Well, Bernie, why is there an exception to this rule? Well, because we had applesauce last night. And so, well, I didn't know you had applesauce last night. Well, it doesn't matter, and that's the exception to the rule. So all of you kids that do bad in English, welcome to my club. Do better, but that's just how I am. But I do understand this about grammar, and I do understand some things about pronouns, that they're personal and possessive. And notice what Paul says in verse number 8, I thank my God. It's his God. It's, it, we're not trying to make more of this than it is. We're just trying to declare what the text says. Paul has a close relationship with the Lord. I thank my God. No pagan would have ever said that. The idea of a personal God, the idea of a God that you could have a relationship with, would have never occurred to the pagan Gentiles that were in the church. Apart from Christ, they would have never thought of that. One is punished by gods, they would have thought of that. One should fear God, not a reverential or a holy fear, but a fear of impending judgment and damnation. But to say that God is mine... In a loving, caring, compassionate way, that concept would have been foreign to them. And Paul is saying, I love my God. I take mission trips, and pre-COVID, we used to take mission trips to Southeast Asia about every 18 months, looking forward to getting back there. And just about every time we go to Southeast Asia, we'll meet somebody that, uh, and, and we go to Cambodia, which is the, the religion of Cambodia is Buddhism, and, and meeting people and talking to folks uh, that have the, a Buddhist background or are currently Buddhist, the concept that you can have a personal relationship with God it is so foreign to them. It's mind blowing to them and they'll literally look at you like you can have a relationship with God yes sometimes if you're raised in a Christian country by and large like America's uh, kind of a Christian country and you're raised in a in a church family that teaches you the principles of scripture it, it becomes such a norm to think oh yeah well that's that's just my God oh yeah that that's my God almost like oh that's my bike and that's my God or that's my car and that's my God no no when Paul says this to these people and the relational tone with which he uses it they, there would have been people sitting in the crowd going he would say that? I remember witnessing to a Muslim man one time, and he'd come to our church several weeks in a row, and we got connected through a friend of his that he met online, and we were talking, and I just talked about the fact that you can have a relationship with God. That God is a, the Bible says it this, he's a friend, this way, he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. 
I love the, the, the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. That, that concept was so foreign to these folks. And Paul talks about it. I just want us to notice not only the, the object of our love, but the intimacy with, uh, of our thankfulness and the intimacy of our gratitude is my God. And, and can I just stop you here? I don't know what every condition is in the room. I, I have a few friends. I, I know some people better than others for sure. And my wife is here. The dearest friends of my life are here. But can I be super candid with you? I might not know where you're from and I might not know your struggles and I might not know your difficulties but if you know Jesus Christ you should have an intimate personal deep abiding loving relationship with the creator of the universe well I just want somebody to love me pastor I get that and I think you can find that here at who we call a Baptist church but can I tell you without a doubt that if you know Jesus Christ, you have somebody that loves you beyond any concept of your love. Paul says he's my God. Not some other dude's God. Mine. Not only do we see the object of Paul's thankfulness and the intimacy of Paul's thankfulness, we see in this verse, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. Notice the mediator of Paul's gratitude through Jesus Christ. Now, you say, well, are you making more of this than you are? No, no, no. We have to understand the Bible with the Bible. And we have to understand that Paul knows that the only way that a man can have a relationship with God the Father is through the person of Jesus Christ, that the only way you can have access to the Creator is through His son, that God sent his only son into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief, Paul would later say. And we understand that Paul, that Paul is talking about the person of Christ and the fact that Christ is the one who died for the sin of mankind, that Christ is the one who cleans the slate, if you will, for mankind so that man can have a relationship with God. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse number 8, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I must do the will of the Father, talking about going to the cross. In John chapter 9, Jesus talking about going to the cross, I must do the work of him that sent me while it is day, for the night cometh, or the time cometh, when no man can work. Talking about the, the, the crucifixion and the substitutionary death of Christ. Paul understood that the access we can have to the Creator is through the person of Jesus Christ. And only Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and, yet, and ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are all men most miserable. Paul talks about the, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 15, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. A true servant of Christ, a true leader for Christ understands that any success they have comes because of the work of Jesus Christ. And I love this in verse number eight as well. I thank my God through Jesus Christ, look at this, for you all. The impartiality of Paul's gratitude. 
Paul wasn't just thankful for a few folks in the church or those who he had simply heard of or maybe those he thought popular or those who were more well-known or those who were on the platform, the musicians and the worship leaders and, and the, the children's church workers and all of that. No, no. Paul was thankful for the entirety of the church. And, and we remember that every word of God is pure. There's not a single word in the Scripture that's there accidentally. The Bible is not your, your senior year term paper in college where you use as many filler words as is possible to get to the total number of words. Come on, I'm not the only one who did that. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I'm doing that right now. Yeah, no, every word in the Bible is intentional. Not a single word is not intentional. So Paul is saying, I'm thankful for you all. Now that word all is such an important word to understand in the scripture. It means exactly what you think it means. It's the Greek word pas. We pronounce it P-A-S. We phonetically be spelled P-A-S. And it means totality, completeness, or oneness. So it's like Paul is saying this. I thank my God for every single one of you who are members of the church at Rome. I, there, we can say it this way, just to help you understand. There's not a single one of you for whom I am not thankful to God through Jesus Christ for. All right, every one of you in the church have an important part, and you play an important role, and you have an important aspect in my life, and I'm grateful to every single one of you. You'll see next week when your pastor picks it back up in nine, or whenever he picks it back up, verse number nine, that he's praying for them all as a collective body. He is praying. Not anyone is excluded from this. No one is promoted in this, and no one is excluded. He, he is intentional in his prayer. And he is thankful for every single member of the church at Rome. Every once in a while, maybe I'll speak at a church or something like that. And it's kind of a culture. And maybe if some of you are from the south or maybe your church kind of has that southern feel, you'll hear a pastor say something like this. Well... Pastor Chadwick has a church and his church and he's been pastoring his church and they almost say it like I own it. And I, and I normally try to get up and I try to be funny and, and, and my humor sometimes works and sometimes it doesn't, but I'm not going to stop trying. But sometimes it works and I'll get up and I'll say, well, it's not really my church. It's the Lord's church. Why do I want that distinction to be? And I know what they mean. They mean I'm the pastor, and they have a good heart in saying that. I don't mean a critical thing for a, word, for a minute in any of that. But I'll be super honest with you. The understanding that the church is the Lord's, as the Bible says, and the fullness thereof, it is not owned by a man. Who we call a Baptist church is not Anthony King Baptist Church. Praise his holy name for that. It is maybe more Angela King Baptist Church. No, no. It is who we call a Baptist church. It is the Lord's. And we can be grateful and thankful for every single person in the congregation. And that's exactly how Paul felt. I'll be honest with you. At Canyon Ridge, I'm just pumped for who we call a Baptist church. I love your pastor. One of the dearest friends I have, will ever have. But I just love this church. 
when I pray for this church, I think about people that I know. Even sometimes I'm not the best with names, but I'm really good with faces and where you're from. And I'll pray for people that I can remember. I don't get to know everybody on a regular basis. But we want to thank God for the entirety of this congregation. And if you're a guest here, you want to be a part of a church that is collectively moving forward for the cause of Jesus Christ, not for the cause of an individual, unless that individual is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Paul is impartial in his gratitude. No one is excluded. No one is removed. No one is more highly thought of or lowly thought of. And by the way, it it removes this whole concept of of some people. Let me illustrate what I'm trying to say. Every once in a while, people will say, like, hey, Chris, like, how many African-American people attend your church? And I'll be like, I have no idea. Like, what do you mean? Well, we we don't have a white count and an African-American count and an Asian count and a Hispanic count. We just kind of are all one. A couple of weeks ago, we, we were in church, and somebody came up to me, and, and they said, hey, Pastor, you know we had somebody from every continent except Australia? I said, good, keep the Aussies out. That's good. <laughs> what are our ushers doing not letting them come in? What's the deal? The, the church is not made up of races. The church is made up of Christians. The church is not divided based on your culture. The church is connected through the person of Jesus Christ. And Paul is removing all partiality with these two groups that in many ways culturally, listen to me clearly, had great disdain for one another. The Jews that were in the church that made up about 40% of the congregation in the community apart from Christ would have had tremendous disdain for the Gentiles, which made up probably 60% of the congregation. And Paul is letting them all know at the basis, at the foundation, that in Christ we are all one and there is no partiality here. And then let me finish with this. That your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Notice the faith of the church. Word is, he says your faith is spoken or proclaimed or people talk about your faith throughout the whole world. The whole known world. The churches that Paul has started, the churches that Peter has started, the church that Timothy is pastoring, the church that Titus, the churches Titus is working on, the churches that John the Apostle is helping there in Asia Minor, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Well, why would the whole world know this? Well, in secular history, we we learn this from secular history. In AD 49, Claudius, the emperor of Rome, was incensed by what was going on in the Jewish community. You see, back in Acts chapter 2, a bunch of Jews from Rome were at Pentecost in Jerusalem, and they heard Peter preach. And when Peter preached, many of them got saved, and they went back to Rome, and their conversion led, their salvation led to a change of behavior uh, in their life. They weren't trying to be changed. They weren't trying to be different. But can I just tell you, just being a follower of Jesus Christ makes you different than the world we live in. Let me say it a different way. It ought not be weird that you seem weird to people who don't know Jesus. Uh, oh, I'm not getting any help here, so I'll just stay here for a second. Somebody like, you mean I should be weird? I don't mean weird like a, a, a seventh grade junior high boy weird. 
But the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you go about your day, those things are just going to be different, not because you're trying to be different, but just simply because you're trying to be close to Jesus. And because there was this difference with the Jews that had been in Jerusalem when they came back to Rome, they began to worship differently. They began to worship on a different day. They didn't go to the synagogues at the same time. I mean, just things were different because of these Jewish Christians. And so there was such an uproar and such battle in Rome over this man named, and we learned this from secular history, this man named, named Christus, which is a divergent spelling for Christ in that day, that Claudius uh, expelled every Jewish man that was of a warfighting age. So from 18 to 50, he kicked out every Jewish man in the community from 49 to 50, 80, 49 to 80, 51. Well, what does that mean? Well, they had to go somewhere. And when they would go places, they would find a church to go to. They'd find a congregation to meet with. And when they would find a congregation to meet with, they would tell them that they were from Rome. However it worked, this is how it works in my mind. We don't have full understanding. And their testimony became great until A.D. 51 when Claudius invited them all to come back to Rome. So they go back to Rome. And now the church is it's really growing, but people are still talking about the church at Rome and the fact that their faith had been so powerful that they were willing to be kicked out of their city for their faith, or in other words, rather than change their biblical spirit of worship, rather than curtail it to make everybody happy, they just said, we're just going to keep serving the Lord, caused a big uproar, they get kicked out. And so their faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world. Their wealth wasn't being spoken of. That's not what they were known for. Their theological prowess wasn't what they were known for. Their building isn't what they were known for. What they were known for was their faith. Well, what is faith? What's the Greek word pistis? Firm persuasion, conviction, belief in the truth. Their veracity, receiving the articles of faith, being so convicted of the articles of faith that you're willing to step out into the unknown. Faith. I believe God would have me do this. Well, it would be dumb if you did anything about it. Well, I'm still going to step out and do this. You see, in Paul's day, to the Jews that were in Rome... To become a follower of Jesus Christ meant that your family would utterly reject you. We, we believe this, that the Apostle Paul, and he had to be, he had to be married to be a Pharisee, and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And most historians, and I would be one that would agree with this, believe that the Apostle Paul, having been married, his wife did not divorce him. His wife actually had a funeral for him, considering him to be dead because he became a follower of Jesus Christ. And so he lost his inheritance. He lost his family. I mean, they, they tell us historically that they would literally have funerals without anybody in the casket because of his faith in Christ. And many of the Jews that were in Rome would have had the same thing. And the Gentiles, though they did not have a, a Judeo background, the Gentiles that were in the church were worshipers of pagans and the pagan deities and the religious leaders in Rome for the pagans that were there or the Gentiles that were there would have ostracized them as well. 
And so these people were losing jobs and houses and careers and, and friends and family. And the Apostle Paul says, all of that has led to your faith being spoken of throughout the entire world. And I thank God for that. And I thank God for that. I thank God that everywhere I go throughout the whole world, people are talking about your faith. Well, pastor, I mean, that was good in Paul's day, but I mean, come on, this is 2022. Who really talks about faith? Well, Christians do. But I mean, we don't really see that played out today. And God doesn't expect the same thing in 2022 that he did in A.D. 60. I mean, it's just thousands of years later. The, the world is different. No, no, no. Can, can I submit something to you? That the just still live by faith in 2022 just like they did in this time period? That living by faith is a requirement of God on the life of the believer? I think the Bible says it this way. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Faith what? Faith that God's word is right. Faith that God means what he says. Faith that God will guide and provide. Well, I'd like to see somebody really live by faith. Well, I think you probably do. I would submit to you that even in this congregation, you have some people that live by faith. Like they did. I would submit that to you. Yes. I sure would. Well, come on. You can't just say that. Well, I'm not going to just say that. I'm building you up. I'm leading you somewhere. We're going to get there. But just go on the journey with me. Oh, yeah. I believe God's still doing what God says he would do. I still believe God is guiding and directing and providing, and I still think that God is using people in this area. I, I would submit this to you. I think God wants to do some amazing things with the folks in this church. Oh, three of us said amen on that. All three of us believe it. Everybody else is like, we just came here to hear the bearded dude preach, and here we got you really a sexy, attractive guy from California. Nothing like what we're used to. I'm writing a book right now, Things You Should Never Say in the Pulpit. That's going in it. So, No, I would submit to you that we're, we're supposed to live by faith. Well, I'm not even a believer. Well, then by faith accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. I had somebody say to me one time, I've got to have all my questions answered before I accept Christ. Can I be honest with you? You'll never have all your questions answered. You have to step out by faith. There's a measure of faith required. We can answer, I think, every question, but it will never answer every question if you don't have faith. You have to step out by faith and accept Jesus Christ. There's a little bit of the unknown. There's a little bit of stepping out in the unknown. There's a little bit of, uh, of uh, uh, insecurity. There's a little bit of unsureness, if you will. Like, will he really save me? Yes, he will. Well, how do you know because his word says he will stepping out by faith is always a step of fear and then it's a step of joy and then it's a step of excitement now I like to do things that push me out of my comfort zone 
So I think tomorrow we're going to go find some cliffs to jump off of. Bernie and I are big rocks. And I'm trying to get your pastor to go with me. How many of you think he should go with me? Can I get an amen from the church body? Can we vote? No, give a big clap right now. We clap in California. Real men don't wear beards. Real men jump off high things into water. I asked him, you going to go with me? He goes, no, I got too much work to do. You've got nothing to do. I walked in, and you're watching YouTube videos of Peppa Pig. You need to go with us, George. <sighs> but when I get up on a cliff, and I'm getting ready to jump into the water, there's always a little bit of fear, like, is the water deep enough to hold me? Because I, I sink more than Bernie. I go to the bottom, and i got to come all the way back up. It's a little bit what faith is. I think you've seen that. I think you've seen at this church God do amazing things through the faith of people at who we call a Baptist church. We say, well, you think that? Yeah, I do. Well, where? Well, about 12 years ago, Anthony King was on staff at an established church with a ton of money. And he didn't really have to live by faith. I mean, he did, but he didn't have to live by faith. And God called him to leave uh, Lancaster Baptist Church and to come here and he had to be obedient and will people uh, support him and will people help him and will people encourage him and will people pray for him and then if we get to Hawaii will we find a place to meet will we have a place to live will we have food that I can feed my kids with I mean is, is, is God gonna provide and with any assurities other than the word of the Lord other than the word of the Lord he and Angela and the family got into a rickety old RV and they drove that thing around the country and, and then finally they raised enough money and they flew here and they shipped stuff here and, and they looked for a place and they found the front part of the building and, and all the money that it took and God provi provided, not knowing where it would come from. And where are we going to live? Oh, let's build an apartment or, or, or fit out an apartment on top of the church and, and they live there. And they didn't even have a bathroom for the first year. My soul. And you're here today because of the work of Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. We would never want to take that. Come on, we've established that. Have we not? But did not God use a man and his family to step out by faith? And now that faith is being spoken of throughout the whole world? You say, through the whole world? Well, whenever I go anywhere in the world, they ask me, where's your favorite place to preach? And I say, who would call a Baptist church? They say, why? I said, because their people are in more need than any other church I know. <laughs> Biblical preaching. I'm totally kidding on that. Totally kidding. I mean that. I talk about it through the whole world. Our, our, Bernie's here. His wife's here. My wife's here. The Williams family that was in our church the best time of their life for 10 years. <sighs> And they'll, they'll testify to this. We got uh, the Gillises are here out of our, matter of fact, all of you are from our church. I was just going to take all, adopt all of you. And, and we talk about this church and the faith that it is. Why? Because it encourages people. Well, God couldn't do that with me. Well, 10 years ago, young, arrogant Navy master chief and his wife come to our church and they're there and we're talking and in the first conversation I realized the difference between a master chief and a master diver and Trey Williams began to talk to me about stuff that still to this day I have no idea what any of it meant 
And they began to serve in our church and grow in our church. And it wasn't long after that that he and I and our families are eating tacos at a really trendy taco shop on El Cajon Boulevard in University City. And we're enjoying just these really great pork street tacos. And, and in the course of our conversation, I looked over at him and I said, Trey, why don't you get out of the Navy and start serving the Lord vocationally at Canyon Ridge? We can't pay you much. And nobody's calling you Master Chief. And we're not oorahing when you come on deck because we don't have a deck for you to come on. So just, you're just going to have to just be a normal dude. And he looked at me. I'll never forget his words. He said it with such sincerity. You'd never want me to work for you. I should have heeded those words. <laughs> so I forgot about it because, I mean, I, I've tried to get Tim Miller to come on staff at Canyon Ridge Church, about, Baptist Church, about 12 times. And Tim just looked at me. And in his Tim Miller way, he just was like, <laughs> and kept on. Juliana's like, you should give him a better answer. And he's like, to her. <laughs> so I figured like, we're done with that conversation and Trey's going to go on with his life and serve the Lord for sure uh, in the Navy and live his life. And it's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing what God does with their life. But he's probably just not going to do ministry stuff. And I'm not to call people into the ministry, but I, wanna, I wanted to make it available, an opportunity or whatever, and felt led of the Lord to do that. Felt led of the Lord to do that with Tim, but he's just rebellious. So I'm going to help them move back to San Diego. Um, I'm kidding. Um, and then Trey comes to me about two Sunday nights later. We're walking out of church late. Our services. I preach long, but I thank God I don't preach as long as your pastor does. And so we're, it's late, and we're walking back to our cars over at the post office. We have to use the post office because our parking lot was too full. And, and Trey, his family was with him, and he kind of pulled off, and he, we're walking behind him. And uh, he goes, uh, hey, if you know Trey, you know he can be oddly intense at the wrong time. <laughs> hey, what? What are we fighting somebody? What's out here? And he's like, hey, uh, not really, he didn't gravel like that, but he's pretty intense. He's like, hey, you remember the other night when you asked me about that? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember that. He goes, were you, were, were you being serious? Because I don't kid around about stuff like that. And I just remember thinking, you don't kid around? <laughs> you should go to who we call a... Um, <laughs> But I said, no, I really was. I was serious. I'm, I'm totally serious about it. If God's called you, I think you should serve the Lord vocationally if that's what the Lord's will is. He goes, well, I just, I just haven't been able to get that out of my head. And I'm like, oh. And at, at that point, I knew, because I've been down that road before. Well, God might be calling you by faith to forego that warrant officer package to give up a career where you're making way more money than we could pay you, way more, and come to church. And three years later, four years later, something like that, that's exactly what he did. Exactly. And not only that, they had a beautiful home out east of town, 40 minutes from the church, 30, 40 minutes from the church out east of town. Beautiful home, big house. Coyotes ran through there and ate their chickens and rabbits. I'm, I'm not kidding you. They, they really did. They, they had it. He'd sit outside pulling guard duty on the chickens and rams. Pastor, what do you think? I just think, let the coyotes have them. Buy your eggs at the store. But whatever. They did their thing. <laughs> 
They sold their beautiful 2,000-plus square foot home, which I don't know what that's like in Hawaii, but a 2,000-square-foot home in San Diego County is a big home, bigger than any house anybody in our church lives in for sure. Not even close. I mean, not even close. We'd go to their house. We called it the Taj Mahal. Like, my soul, that's huge. Didn't know how to deal with all of that room and space. And so my wife and I bought a 400-square-foot home, and she's like, this is too big for me. I don't like, I'm cleaning it. I'm kidding. It's 1,500 square feet. They sold that, and they moved to the hood right next to our church. I don't think anybody spoke English in their neighborhood, including them. They're from Texas. <sighs> and then Pastor King calls me three years later, just as they're getting used to ministry. He's learning. He can't yell at people. He'd been a master chief. If you're not in the Navy, if you're in some other branch of military or whatever, master chiefs are considered to be the worst humans that have ever lived. They're mean. We, we don't call them pilot for nothing, all right? I mean, that's just, that's just pilot in the Bible. Anyway, that joke. That joke will come back better with wor different words next time. Just as he's getting used to it, Pastor King calls and says, hey, we need somebody, some help. And God burdened my heart to encourage him to talk to Trey. And I said to him, I'm like, hey, why don't you, why don't you talk to Trey? And <laughs> Pastor King's like, nope, nope, why not? Because you don't date your best friend's sister and you don't hire your best friend's staff members. And I told him, if you had a good-looking sister, I would have dated her, but from the looks of you, that would have been impossible. <laughs> that next night, Brother King goes, Pastor King goes, and he prays to Angela, and she sets him straight, and she says, why wouldn't you call him? Well, same thing. You don't date your best friend's you know, sister, and you don't hire your best friend's staff members. And she looked at him with all the care and compassion that she has, which isn't much, and she said to him, no, this is what she said to him, you idiot, call him. I think that's how she told me that story. But no, call him. Call him. And I didn't think Trey would take that job. Leave San Diego for Hawaii? Why would you do that? But Trey sat in my office. I can still tell you what he's wearing when I talk to him. And he kind of fell to the ground. I mean, no, no lie. He goes, well, would you consider this job? And I didn't even tell him where it was. And I was like, uh, and I'm thinking, Hawaii, Ala Moana? Yes. And I was like, I would. Seven weeks later, they've sold their house. They've moved to a place without a house. They don't know where they're going to live. They don't know what's going to happen, but they know God has called them. And by faith, they left everything to passionately pursue the will of God. Oh, they could have sold their house in San Diego, moved to Texas, had a mansion with no debt, and lived easy for the rest of their life. Well, why didn't they do that? Because God called them, and they're living by faith. And we rejoice in the call of God, but we rejoice more in the obedience of faith. Can I just stop and tell you that story for somebody else in this room tonight? There's some people in this room that God's called you to do something, and you're like, whoa, 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 that would mean I have to give up my. I don't know what the my is, but you're going to have to give it up. Well, if I do that, I'll have to leave. I don't know where you leave, but I know you're going to have to leave something. 
Why? Because the step of faith and the step of obedience is always a step of closeness and intimacy to the Lord, and, and, and it is a step away from something else because you can't hold on to your dreams and God's plan at the same time. You have to let go and trust in the Lord. And it's amazing when the Bible says, delight thyself also with the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Oh, he'll give me everything I want? No, no, he's going to change your want to what he wants, and it's going to be amazing if you will do what God says. I just wonder if there's a young couple in here that God is calling to a vocational ministry. Or maybe there's an older couple in here who says, hey, I can serve the Lord vocationally for the rest of my life and never have to, the church ever have to pay anything. Or I can teach a community Bible study, or, or you guys call them small groups, whatever it is. I, I could teach that. And I could step out by faith and do that. By faith, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a better testimony to the people that I work with. By faith, I'm going to do, and you know what God is calling you to do. I don't have to know, and I don't have to give a thousand illustrations. God can pull our hearts the direction that he wants to pull our hearts, and we by faith say, yeah, okay, yes, if that's what you want. Well, what's the end state of that? Well, for Paul and the church at Rome, it was a lifetime impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For Pastor King and Angela, it's a lifetime impact on some people in Honolulu, Hawaii. For Trey and Lee Williams, it's a lifetime impact both at Canyon Ridge and in Honolulu, Hawaii. No, no, I, I would argue that the Bible doesn't list all the heroes of faith in it. And you know what I'm thankful for? Even though it meant one of the dearest friends I've ever had in my life moving away. You know what I'm thankful for? That he's living by faith. That motivates me. That challenges me. Pastor King, he and I, we never work together. We, 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 we never stupid games in his pool that Trey had in California. I love that pool. And we, we made up all kinds of dumb games to try to hurt each other. We worked out together five times a week. We ate out regularly. We enjoyed it. He prayed for my kids. I prayed for his kids. He counseled my kids. I yelled at his kids. It's awesome. Or vice versa. I don't remember. We were like family. And you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful that my God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, has done a work and your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Is your faith spoken of throughout the whole world? Are you living by faith? If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you're not living by faith. You must come to Christ by faith. Put your faith and trust in Him. In just a minute, Pastor's going to explain how you can do that. You've got to understand you're a sinner. You've got to repent of your sin and accept only Jesus Christ to save you. And once you're saved, live by faith. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.